The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hey, this is Aura. I'm one of the four felons hosting the brand new graphic novelty podcast. You're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to THN, episode 258, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, June 8th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not questioning Ronan the Accuser's impartiality because of his Cree background, I'm writing the comic speculator for Warpoint.com. I'm just saying, I don't think he's going to give me a fair shake. You know, that's all I'm saying. He's not. He's <laughs> Ronan the Accuser has never been accused of being fair. And my name is Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not dragging my wife to TMNT2, listen, I did not take my wife to see TMNT2. This is not accurate. I heard you took your wife. This is what I get for just letting you write stuff. (laughs) No, I took my sister and her two daughters, my nieces. We went out for my niece's birthday. We saw TMNT2. It's what you expect. Did your nieces like it when Megan Fox showed her tatas? She didn't show her tatas. <laughs> Kids were totally loving it. And then Megan Fox teaches all the young girls in the audience that the way to get what you want is to make yourself look like a slut to trick feeble-minded men. To be fair, that's exactly how Megan did it. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Wacky Raceland, number one, and Detective Comics 900 and something. After that, we'll review 10 more of this week's comics faster than Joe Patrick can learn that there's more musicals out there than just Hamilton during the ludicrous speed round and then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we'll be meeting Brian Braddock, Captain Britain himself who's going to sit down with us to have a little conversation about Queen Elizabeth on the celebration of her 90th birthday and we're going to talk about some of next week's comics too and finally Joe and I play Brainiac when we answer your comic questions as part of our Ask a Nerd segment. But before we come down from our Warcraft high, know that Joe and I just got done seeing the film. We loved it. It pushed all our buttons. You should see it too. Don't read the reviews. If you like video games, you like Warcraft, and you like Vikings, specifically Ragnar Lothbrok, the main character, go see Warcraft. It was a good time. He was not Ragnar Lothbrok. Yes, he was. He was Durotan. Yes, on Vikings, he plays Ragnar Law. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Stay with me here. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> and then we can talk about this week's big Writer Mark Miller and artist Greg Capullo have announced Reborn, the creator-owned project that the pair have been teasing for months now. Reborn stars Bonnie Black, an 80-year-old woman who finds herself in a fantasy world after she dies. Okay. The official synopsis reads as follows, quote, It's not heaven, it's not hell, it's as real and hard as where we live now, but filled with the most amazing fantasy landscapes, jaw-dropping creatures, and a battle raging between good and evil. The people she loved in this world, her father and her childhood dog, but oddly not her husband who died 14 years earlier, are there waiting for her. So she sets out to find him. She realizes that she has been reborn as a 25-year-old woman with a sword in her hand and a gun on her hip, end quote. All right. Naturally, Reborn was created with an eye to transitioning the project to film, like all Miller World projects, with Miller telling Deadline that, quote, the idea is always to create the project and then find the right producer for it. We have an idea of who would be good for this one. It must be someone who will understand the story and is passionate about bringing our vision to the screen, end quote. 
he declined to say who he thought it would be. Which means they don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they'll take anybody and they'll be like, that was the guy. <laughs> the Hollywood trade says that. We re- wanted Eli Roth to do it all along. <laughs> <laughs> the Hollywood trade says that Reborn will be published by Miller World. But it didn't say if that meant it was going to be its own self-published thing or if it was going to be through Image or Marvel's Icon imprint or what. Okay, this feeds into your theory that Miller World goes wherever Mark Miller goes. I thought it was just an Image thing. No, Miller World goes wherever Miller goes. Miller World is Mark Miller's comic book imprint. Okay. Some of them have been published through Image. Some of them have been published through Marvel. Okay. Kick-Ass is Marvel. It's still Miller World. Right. It's a Miller World, baby. We just live in it. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Reborn is scheduled to debut in October and run for six issues. Matt, I gotta say, like most of Miller's projects, this seems pretty good uh, in theory. It's probably gonna be good. Capullo and Miller, I'm sure this is gonna be a good time. What I think is interesting in these last couple times we reported about Mark Miller, I don't know if he is losing a little bit of his Hollywood power, but he sure seems to be just sort of like teasing stuff out there like i haven't quite found the right guy or no one's really approached me yet you know like they used to (laughs) like we just talked about how he was looking for a superstar artist for his other project that he's going to pay ten thousand dollars per issue or whatever right like so i gotta wonder like it's a bounty hunt like is is miller star fading a little bit i don't know i mean i guess we'll see i think it's the same as all of his other projects that he he is an IP farm, right? And he's just generating content to eventually be turned but into movies. Everything continues to get picked up. I guess, like they're gonna make that. They're gonna make Super Crooks into a movie. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think this sounds fun. I like Greg Capullo a lot. I think it's a fun idea. The the thought that this old lady dies and suddenly wakes up, essentially like John Carter on right. a, in an alien fantasy world. It's with uh, like, ray guns and weird monsters. There was a sci-fi book called Old Man's World, and it's sort of like that, where senior citizens went to the government and they were like transformed back into young super soldiers and sent out into space to fight. Oh, kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Editor's note. The book is called old man's war written by John Scalzi. Yeah. I just, I find that with Miller's comic work that it's about 80, 20 mm-hmm. books that I think are great. Like Empress and starlight. Empress is wonderful. And books that, sounded great and are actually kind of gross like (laughs) nemesis uh so we will see sounds good for now sure joe dreamworks animations reboot of voltron hit netflix this past week featuring five earth teens keith lance hunk Pidge and shiro who become the last line of defense for the galaxy in an intergalactic battle against the evil alien force led by king zarkon okay now who's the original like shiro is not an original character right i think he was editor's note in the original english translation of the 1980s shiro was originally named sven later in the reboot series voltron legendary defender the character is renamed shiro pretty sure i think all the names are all original characters wasn't there a girl not in voltron okay maybe later i'm thinking of battle of the planets yeah you're thinking i think you're thinking of battle of the planets okay joe and i watched the first episode last night joey are you happy to have voltron back yeah you know i thought it was great yeah i thought it was really good too the animation was fantastic i would this was dreamworks which yeah they've never really done asian inspired stuff before but this definitely has a manga look to it it yes very uh, anime pardon me 
I will tell you, it reminded me a lot of Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, which are two amazing, amazing programs. I just never was able to get into them. I couldn't get into Avatar. Legend of Korra, though, it hooked into me big time. I heard that one was better. But it, it had that feel, that style, and that kind of humor. Right. But also very serious, uh, serious subject matter, like mass extinction and enemy uh, aliens coming to perform genocide. Right. And we, uh, we need to like save our, our very existence. And I will say a lot of that sort of Japanese uh, comedy anime really grates on my nerves. It's just not geared to adults, I don't think. But they did a really good job in this one, lightening it a little bit. And not taking it to the full, like, head exploding with giant tear coming out, you know. Well, right. It wasn't full on anime. It It was was anime influence. It was still present, but it was light handed. And I thought this was really good. Yeah. And the way the tiger hops around in space, pardon me, lion hops around in space. Man, that was cool. (laughs) I something about this that I didn't really get in the original Voltron was a sense of scale those lions are huge. Yeah, they're gigantic. And in the original Voltron, they just kind of felt like car sized. But these are like giant yeah. tanks. Like they're this version huge. of Voltron is huge. Uh, I thought the action was neat. I the idea that they all have like their own specialized weapons. Right. And it's not kind of neat. It's not all kiddied either. Like people are dying. Like this is still very oh, heck, serious, yeah. heavy stuff. But suitable for kids. It's not like blood and gore either. Uh, Reese Darby from Flight of the Concords. Is the yeah. uh, main advisor guy? I knew it. And he's amazing. He's awesome on the show. <laughs> I really liked it. Yeah, I'm gonna watch the rest. I of got them. a. I got a real charge when they first when they found the first lion, and then later on when they finally revealed the black lion after they found all the other ones, I was like, oh man, like I got all the tingles. Like every summer, I get a hankering for some anime, but I'm really picky about what it's gonna be, and Voltron's gonna be my anime this summer. It's not really an anime, Matt. Come on. Ah, it counts. It's an American production. It counts. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of revivals, Archie Comics has announced another title in its growing New Riverdale line, Josie and the Pussycats. Josie, Valerie, and Melody, which they had a typo in here. They said Valeria. It's not Valeria, guys. Oh. It's Valerie. Yeah. And Melody are returning in a new series by writers Marguerite Bennett and Cameron DiOrgio along with artist Audrey Mock. Scheduled to launch September 28th, the ongoing Josie and the Pussycats title will, quote, follow Josie and her friends on their journey to achieve their dreams of musical stardom, just like Jim and the holograms. Sure. Without all the uh, super science. Without all the super science. And holograms. And synergy. Matt, I have a confession to make. I love Josie and the Pussycats. Is that weird? No, it just makes you a pervert. Uh, I don't like it. Like, I don't like it in a weird way. Uh huh. We all know why. They all wore those hot shorts and everything. I get it. Bennett described Josie and the Pussycats as, quote, zany, high energy, hilarious, and utterly sincere. Josie and the Pussycats is the fourth title in the Archie Comics' new Riverdale line after Archie Jughead and the upcoming Betty and Veronica. This is the first new title for Josie and the Pussycats in 22 years. It's a long time. Read me the solicitation. Here's the full solicitation for September's first issue. Grab the latest surefire top of the charts new Riverdale series. <laughs> Friends, countrymen, lend me your long tails and ears for hats. Oh, the pussycats are back. You're a furry. That's why you like it. You sicko. They're not <laughs> dressed like animals. They're dressed I mean, like pussycats. They have they, ears and tails. But not like full head to toe ears and tails, blush buddy. costumes. Ears and tails. <laughs> you admitted your love for Tiger on this very podcast. That's different. 
It's not. It is. It's not. She's a mystical creature. Look, the Pussycats are back in this series kickoff. Josie's getting the band back together to help achieve her dreams of musical stardom. That might sound familiar because we just read it. Uh Uh-huh. But for the group to last, it needs a strong foundation of friendship and trust. Can the girls get going or will Alexandra's plotting put a stop to the whole thing? Don't miss comics. Supreme songstresses return into the limelight in this exciting first issue. I was always a bigger fan of the misfits personally, you know, like well, their songs are better. They wrote better music, you know? Yeah. That's in the song. Yeah. We are the misfits. Our songs are better. You're supposed to tease me that they were going after Jem and not the pussycats. Yeah. You got the wrong. I mean, I knew that you knew that that was wrong. Was there an evil pussycats like band, like a nemesis band? You know, I don't know. There had to have been right. Really? It was there. There was like a nemesis manager. Right. Yeah. It was Alexandra and her brother, whose name I forget that they were like rich and they assholes. want to use them to get famous and I was like I don't know if that sounds cool just seeing the pussycats is super fun I had a bunch of reprints when I was a kid from the Archie Digest that predated the existence of Valerie who is the African American girl right uh, and I don't even think they were a band. This is back when Josie puts cats were an all white band. They were an all white band. Pardon me, they were a whites only band. <laughs> no, not okay. It was a different time for Archie. <laughs> it was the sixties. It was the early sixties. And yeah, and there was this other girl who was just kind of this nerdy Velma looking woman, uh, whose name I can't remember. I'm afraid they got in like weird, uh, adventures, just like the Scooby gang and stuff, just like all the Archie stuff. And then the nerdy chick OD'd on Quaaludes and they got the, and then they, they got, got the Valerie. Yeah. yeah. It's rock star life. It's tough. <laughs> it's hard, <laughs> but yeah, I love it. And the Justin Lee Pussycats movie, uh, with Rosario Dawson and, uh, Alan Cumming as the manager. Yeah. It is this like very subtle. You saw the movie? Yes. Oh my God. It's this, it's this like indictment of celebrity culture and sponsorships and consumerism. It's got layers, man. The Josie and the Puts Against movie rocks. Okay. I'm not, listen, you think I'm making it up. Sometimes I just wonder if you even think about this stuff before it comes out of your mouth. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong, America. Tell me I'm wrong. Josie and the Puts hits the stands. September. Look for it. I'm excited. Matt's going to have to read it. I guarantee it. Can't wait. This is my promise to you. for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything else you think we missed, hit us up on the big news section of the THN forums where I will be posting a top 10 list of Joe Patrick's most embarrassing favorite movies, including Step Up, Step Up to the Streets. Look, I've only seen Step Up 3D. That's the only Step Up movie I've seen. Oh my god! But every subsequent Step Up movie has been Step Up blank the streets, which drives my wife crazy. Like Step Up back to the streets? Step Up for the streets. Step Up for the streets. But that's not what they're called, obviously. Step Up under the streets, where they fight in like the sewers and stuff, and like underground dance fights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. But I saw Step Up 3D in the theater. Oh, stop. The 3D effects were You did not write this part. Every Sunday, underground dance battler Joe Patrick posts the question of the week in everyone's favorite digital nerd dance floor, the THN forums. Joe Patrick, what are we asking the nerds this week? All right. Well, speaking of embarrassing film appreciation, this week's question comes from our main wiener man, Aura McWilliams, who writes, quote, every time I see the trailer for the Independence Day sequel, I get so excited. Why? I do too. Why? I know. It's going to be terrible. I can't wait, though. (laughs) The first time the trailer played in front of Superman, Batman, I was the only one in the theater that clapped. (laughs) 
That's sad. I've taken a lot of hell for my love of ID4. Matt even used to give me a hard time about it all those years ago. That's why I'd sit on him and I'd punch him and stuff. Go, welcome to Earth. <laughs> welcome to Earth. <laughs> I used to watch it every 4th of July. I'd get tingles when Bill Pullman gives the speech. I have no shame of my love for Independence Day. So my question to you guys is, what is your guilty pleasure Film, your cinematic guilty pleasure. Oh now, boy! We did comic book guilty pleasures already. Yeah, yeah. So keep your comic book bullshit out of this. Well, no, it could be like you could be if you want to say, hey, you know what? I really like the Fantastic Four movie. Well, no, no I mean that's fine. Yeah, I mean, no, bring it in. But that's this is fine. about movies. Yeah. And I'm saying, and I, after conferring with Aura, that this does not have to be limited to comic book dorky stuff. No, no, no. We just went and saw J Warcraft. We both really liked it. Josie and the Pussycats, though, that is a comic book movie technically. A movie for little girls as well. <laughs> What kind of caveman are you? You this are is, not the target audience. Do you agree with is, that this statement? This is 2016, yes man. Yes or no? <laughs> I can enjoy what I want without fear of persecution you're from troglodytes like you. You're right. I apologize to male perverts everywhere. If, the, <laughs> if liking Josie and the Pussycats makes me a male pervert, then hand me my badge of shame. I will wear it proudly. I'll, I'll get you on the sex offender registry right away, buddy. I don't have anywhere to go. Yeah, until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, June 17th. To get us your answer, you can call the Ziggurat hotline at 402-819-4894. Leave that message. If you're not too embarrassed to admit it, you can send an MP3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com. Whatever you choose, keep it under two minutes. Matt will cut you off. He did it just this past week to our good friend Chase Magnet. Hey, it's not easy. I don't like it, but rules are rules. No, you do like it. Real talk, though. 23 calls. Yeah. We got 23 calls for the upcoming That's question why. of the week. That's why. Two minutes. If anyone of you goes over a hair yeah. over two minutes. <laughs> we might be going down to a minute soon if this keeps up. <laughs> you have 16 seconds to give us your answer. <laughs> if that's not enough time for you, head to the THN web forums. That's at thnforums.boards.net. There's a question of the week section there. You can go crazy. Lots of people do. All of our favorite people are on the forums. It's the best place on the internet. Then you can tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. It's a much superior show. It really to is. To be quite honest. It really is. It's review time in the Ziggurat where Joe and I pause our celebration of the 30th anniversary of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. How old does that make you feel? About 38. God, that's crazy. Yeah, old. To review two of this week's comics. Chica Chica, Joe Patrick. What'd you review this week? Dunk of Shane, Matt. Uh, my review this week. See what I did? Dunk of Shane. I see that. Yeah. I can see it. This week, my main review is Detective Comics 934 from DC Comics. I made sure to look up the number, even though I. Looking up three numbers was a real chore. Oh, you big baby. Three digits. Come I mean, on. come Did on. Would you rather went back to one? No, I'm so glad. Yeah. It's written by James Tinian IV with pencils by Eddie Barrows, inks by Eber Ferreira. Colors by Adriano Lucas. It's 32 pages for $2.99. Here's your solicit. Rise of the Batman! Chapter 1. An unknown predator begins outdoing Batman, taking down dangerous threats with military precision. I wanted to go with Rise of the Batmans, personally. But. <laughs> Rise of the Batmans. <laughs> it's up to the Dark Knight and series co-star Batwoman to rally and train the young heroes of Gotham City to end this mysterious threat. What now?! No question mark. What now? Colon. Batman and Kid. <laughs> Batman <is> and doing. <laughs> Batman and Batwoman begin training. Spoiler: Red Robin and Cassandra Kane. But is the villainous Clayface ready for redemption? Yeah, all of the Rebirth number one solicits. How, how this 
like baffling what it is yeah what now he said it and then it'll be a quote from jeff johns yeah. or whatever so weird leave that weird to idw they do it and drives punctuation me by the way it's so strange yeah. dashes and colons so let's sit aside it's not the it's not the uh, creative team's fault i may have been more excited for this than i am for tom king's batman i love stories where the extended bat family teams up and this one didn't disappoint Batman starts assembling the next generation of Gotham City's protectors, starting with his new partner, Batwoman. Tinian wins me over right off the bat <laughs> by Stop giving that. us a Batman that treats <laughs> others. I'm going to hit you with stuff every time you do that. <laughs> like partners and equals, not like tools to be used. From there, we catch up with spoiler Red Robin, Cassandra Kane, and Clayface, who Tinian casts in a sympathetic light that made me appreciate the character in a way that I haven't in years, maybe even since a Paul Dini's animated series. Yeah. And yeah, because he was a tragic figure on that. Yeah. Well, this is all pretty much a standard assemble the team story. Tinian still presents plenty of mysteries like the bat themed villains attacking and spying on our heroes and Tim Drake's mysterious letter. What was the letter? There are even moments of levity, like when the assembled group, <laughs> when the assembled group takes off on their grappling hooks, leaving poor Clayface in the dust, like it's this inspirational yeah. moment. There, it's all like, "All right, team, let's do this!" And they zip <laughs> off into the sky, and Clayface is left behind. He's just like, oh, "Guys, oh. <laughs> Hell, Batman smiles more times in this issue than Superman did in his own book this week." Boy, which Superman? Pile of Ash, Superman, Black Superman. What are we talking? It was Superman. Super- it was the, the <laughs> <Okay>. Superman. <laughs> Tinian nails the characterizations of each of our heroes in this issue, but the real MVP is the art team of Eddie Barrows, Eber Ferreira, and Adriano Lucas. When Eddie Barrows first hit the scene, he was a talented clone of other popular artists like Ivan Rice. Yeah, I agree. While those influences can still be seen, I feel like he has really leveled up here. His layouts are spectacular. His backgrounds are beautifully detailed. His figure work is impressive. Each character has their own body language. Ferreira's inks are crisp and clean and full of heavy fields of black when necessary, but he doesn't overshadow the line work. Lucas's colors are just gorgeous, vibrant and bright in a way that you wouldn't think would work for a Batman book, but they totally do. There were even some panels that like some inkless panels where Barrows drew an image that was just kind of like almost watercolored by adriano lucas very similar to what francis manipal did on some of his flash pages yeah yeah i absolutely loved this issue and i'm excited to see where this group goes from here sometimes the quote-unquote secondary titles can take a backseat when high profile creators come onto a franchise like scott snyder you know when he relaunched batman and everyone was all about batman and the detective comics just kind of languished but here it seems like everybody's pumped to see what tom king will do on batman but i'm really happy to say that detective comics is in great hands with this creative team i'm giving it a huge buy it i loved it my favorite thing about this is they are separating batman and detective again they're going to be two distinctive books that's how they were batman is going to be a batman story detective is going to be a team book oh well sure yeah that is what i'm saying and they've always whenever i've been really excited about both batman and detective books they had completely different feels and these i mean the feel is going to be same but i like that they're doing two different things here this is exciting this is fun and i also think it's about time they gave tynan the big like the, the reins of a the major big shot yeah. yeah the guy's great proved himself over and over and over again 
I had a lot of fun with this too. I'm giving it a buy. And all of the the main Batman books are going to be like you described. You're going to yeah. have this book, which is the team book, the mystery team squad. And then you'll have Batman, which will be the straight up superhero book. Right. And then all-star Batman, when that launches with Snyder, it'll be villain focused. Right. And I think it's great. It's a little something for different tastes. Right. As opposed to a bunch of different writers trying to kind of do what Scott Snyder does. Yep. But I think so far the Batman books are coming off rebirth looking really good. Yeah. Looking strong. Matt bomb. Get your motor running. (laughs) Head out on the highway. Oh boy. Tell me about wacky Raceland. Wacky Raceland is the third in the Hanna-Barbera relaunch. This is number one from DC written by Ken Pontac with art by Leonardo Manco. It's 32 pages for $3.99. When DC first announced the Hanna-Barbera rebirth, Joey and I were cautiously optimistic. Flash forward, we've seen two offerings, Future Quest and Scooby Apocalypse. Before Wacky Raceland, the DC Hanna-Barbera verse was one for two in our book. But... Mm. We all knew Wacky Raceland was going to be the hardest to sell. And a hard sell it was. The story starts outside the Armageddon Bar, where a group of cars are talking to each other. Yeah, that caught me off guard. Yep. Just like back in the 1960s Wacky Races cartoons, the cars can talk. For those who aren't old enough to remember, Wacky Races was a fun-filled romp featuring several different colorful and fun racers like Penelope Pitstop, Peter Perfect, racing against the likes of Dirk Dastardly and his co-pilot, a giggling dog named Muttley. Unlike Wacky Racers, Wacky Raceland is set in a post-apocalyptic world where racers are rescued by an unseen force paired with a talking car and forced to race for the promise of one day going to Utopia. All the characters you may or may not remember from Wacky Races are here but they've been dropped into the Mad Max blender and apocalyptified, if you will, to the point where they are completely unrecognizable and sometimes just plain stupid. Yeah. So let's get back to the talking cars. Each vehicle has an attitude to match the crazy extreme driver who we then meet in the bar. And guess what? They're crazy. Penelope Pitstop dresses like a pink dominatrix. Dirk Dastardly has multicolored dreads and a Doberman with metal teeth on the outside of his mouth. (laughs) The anthill gangs are clones or something. Lazy Luke is a drunk that calls everyone asshats. And Blubber Bear is a hulking giant of a man with a bear arm. Not a naked arm, mind you, but a bear's arm instead of a human's arm. A (laughs) B-E-A-R arm, not a B-A-R-E arm. Then we flash to a beautiful splash page of all the racers in their ludicrous cars literally flying through the Uber Pass before the story is violently jerked back to the Armageddon Bar where a three-headed mutant with a third leg sprouting from its crotch complete with fishnet stockings starts a bar fight with Penelope Pitstop. The fight quickly spreads to all the other racers brutally murdering mutants with their own personal touch based on their ridiculous character themes. From there, the story jerks back and forth between the race through the Uber Pass and the bar fight with such speed and ridiculous dialogue, it is impossible to care about anything that is happening. One of the best things about Future Quest was how Jeff Parker and Doc Shaner faithfully represented Johnny Quest and the crew. Jim Lee didn't quite hit it out of the park with Scooby Apocalypse. Well, Howard Porter drew that. Well, Jim Lee did the design. He did the designs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But. The characters were still recognizable. At least they looked like Scooby-Doo characters, sort of. Now, I'm not saying that I was planning on seeing these cartoon characters 
faithfully recreated racing through the apocalypse. But this could have been anything. They could have been any characters. There was nothing that set it apart other than they were in race cars that kind of mimicked their name. And it just did nothing for me. Yeah. Leonardo Manco is amazing on art here. He really is good. But the character designs are so ridiculous, it goes beyond over the top to the realm of the stupid. And the story, or complete lack thereof, is quick to follow. This was breakneck speed stupidity paired with a stupid premise and a dash of terrible dialogue poured over Manko's art and shaken until it becomes a mess so extreme and stupid. It not only loses any charm that may have come from the source material, but becomes a wholly new spastic mess that I dare anyone to say they actually cared about. I cannot give Wacky Raceland a bigger leave it. And if it makes it past issue six, I'll go ahead and admit I don't know anything about comics anymore. <laughs> leave it. This was terrible. I'll take that bet. Nerd bet. Wacky Raceland lasts past issue six. All right. Nerd bet on. Yeah. I mean, if this comic was terrible, it, it was, was just there's it nothing was terrible. redeeming about it. There was nothing to latch onto. There was nothing to care about. Uh, I even disagree with you about the art. I thought the art by Leonardo Manco looked subpar. I've seen way better effort from him. This whole thing from start to finish was a complete mess. It really was. And a waste of paper. Why anyone thought this was a good idea? Like, I will admit, when they said, it's going to be wacky races, but like Mad Max, I thought, okay, well, maybe they'll have some fun with that. Yeah. This is not fun. There was nothing fun about it. But it was trying to be like fun and funny at times where like they kept oh, it, it was trying they said the word asshat like 17 times. I don't yeah. get it. And it was the, trying the to be fun. The origin of Lazy Luke and uh, Bubble Bear or whatever the f*** his name was. Bubble Bear. Was just so beyond stupid. It's like the world's ending and we're two hit kids. Let's get wasted. I've never done that before. This is pretty good. Guess I'm a drunk now. Oh, I got mauled by a bear. Oh, don't worry, buddy. I cut off pieces of it and glued it to you. You know, like that was literally their origin. <laughs> we saved you two ninety nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was just dumb. Yeah, I'm giving it a leave it as well. There there is nothing about this book that's worth reading. So that is a double buy it for Detective Comics number nine hundred and whatever and a double leave it for wacky Raceland number one. Now it's time for you bat-themed crime fighters and uh, doped-up race car drivers to share your opinions with us at the THN Forums. THNforums.boards.net. Tell us what you thought of these good and also very bad comics. <laughs> the sad part was there were some sites that gave it pretty good reviews. They're like, no. it was crazy fun. Yeah, it was crazy. All like, right. How could you call that fun? <laughs> If you follow him on Facebook or Twitter, you may have noticed that Joe, like many other middle-aged white women, have fallen in love with musical theater thanks to the Hamilton soundtrack without ever actually seeing the show. Not only that, but when questioned by his wife and mine, Joe could name none of the other musicals nominated for this year's Tony Award. False! I did too! School of Rock! She said you were going to say that, and they said that happened after the fact. So join me now as I out Joe Patrick as a musical theater poser and remind him that he's shouldn't want to be a musical theater nerd in the first place while well, we review 10 more of this week's comics before Joe misses the Tony Awards during the ludicrous speed round. 
Honorary Man, number one from Oni. Writer Robert Rohde returns to comics to tell the story of what if the Sheriff of Nottingham wanted to kill Robin Hood because he was gay and dating Richard the Lionheart. In this version of Robin Hood, the Sheriff is chasing all the gay men out of town, but they call them Merry Men. Get it? It's a clever premise, and it works well here, but the Shakespearean dialogue gets pretty old pretty fast. That, and Rohde writes Robin Hood as a throat-slashing murderer. I love Jackie Lewis's art, but I just couldn't get into the story thanks to the huge amount of flowery dialogue. I see what he's doing here. I do feel like they're pushing the mythos a little bit. I'm giving it a skim it. Action Comics 957 from DC. Dan Jurgens returns to the Man of Steel for the first time since... Uh, well, since a couple of weeks ago, I guess. Yeah. Still, this is the first time Jurgens has steered one of the main super titles since the late 90s. He doesn't seem to have lost a step. So if the post-crisis 80s and 90s Superman was your jam, like it was mine, you'll feel right at home here. Lex Luthor makes his debut as the new Superman of Metropolis, which causes the pre-Flashpoint Superman, don't think about it too hard, to finally <laughs> come out of hiding and reclaim his mantle. Jurgens sets up a compelling mystery and leaves us with a familiar cliffhanger. Plus, he reclaims Maggie Sawyer, a classic Superman supporting character that was lost to the Bat Books Back in the Gotham Central days. Man, I don't even remember her. Batwoman's fiance? She ran Gotham Central? Come on, man. Oh, yeah, okay, gotcha. Patrick Zercher is on the art, so the book looks great. The whole tangled mess with the multiple versions of multiple characters still isn't any closer to being resolved. And Superman didn't really smile, not even once, which was kind of a bummer. But this was a fun return to form for the Man of Steel, and it just kind of felt right. Okay. If you're a fan of the classic Superman of the 80s and 90s, Action Comics 957 is a buy it. Wonder Woman Rebirth, number one from DC. Greg Rucker returns to Wonder Woman, setting up the new story that will bounce between her past and present with impressive art by Matthew Clark and Liam Sharp. Rucker resets the Wonder Woman status quo and asks some big questions about both her past and present. This issue instantly pulled me back into Diana's story, and I'm genuinely excited to read a Wonder Woman comic for the first time in a long time. Now, I need to know who the hell is Jason... Buy it. It was great. It was really good. The Flash Rebirth, number one from DC. I hope you read DC Universe Rebirth number one because this is essentially DC Universe Rebirth number two. <laughs> Writer Joshua Williamson teams with artist Carmine D. John Domenico to present several key elements from the Rebirth one-shot from Barry's perspective, including his teary reunion with Wally West. Williamson takes some time to set up plots for the upcoming Flash series while slightly propelling the mystery of the rebirth forward. I love Carmine D. Gian Domenico's art, usually. But I'm not so sure he's a good fit for this book. Oh, really? I liked him. There were lots of backgrounds that were photoshopped to death during the running scenes, and the layouts were very cramped. And to me, the Flash is the kind of character that, that needs kind of room to move. Yeah, you big, let it breathe. Panels. Definitely. You gotta let it breathe. Maybe that's just the result of this special needing to cover lots of ground, so we'll see. So Flash Rebirth maybe wasn't the best representative of the Flash, of what the Flash series will be, but it is a must-read for those invested in the overall Rebirth saga. By my math, that averages out to a very strong skimmit. I did like it. I did think it was good, but I had some problems. Norman, number one from Titan. This new monthly series picks up from the pages of the French graphic novel that follows a young serial killer as he hacks and slashes his way through his family and friends. Sounds grim, right? Well, it's not. 
Norman is a chibi manga comedy meets South Park. And while it comes off as cute, I have to wonder if some of the humor was lost in translation. I got the gist of the story, but this is probably better for readers that followed the previous two graphic novels. It is unlike anything else I've read in a while, I'll say that, so I'm giving Norman a skim it. <laughs> Midnight of the Soul, number one from Image. I have a tough time with Howard Chaikin. The man is a pretty divisive creator. Essays have been written by very smart people on our own website about his work. Shout out to my main man, Keith Silva. There we go. But I thought this was my chance to get in on the ground floor of a new Chaikin project and look at his work from a fresh perspective. I loved the beginning, focusing on the quote-unquote hero of the piece, an agoraphobic, alcoholic, World War II veteran with PTSD. That's a lot of problems. Lots going on there. (laughs) Chaikin's amazing art and ability to tell a story is in full display, but it soon falls back on the same sordid and smutty subject matter that has littered so many of Chaikin's recent projects. I think he's turning into a dirty old man. Call me old-fashioned, but I'd love to read a Chaikin story where the women aren't automatically depicted as slutty, nagging whores, while men lord over them liberally tossing around the C-word. Hey, it was World War II. Come on. (laughs) I can't say enough good things about the art, the pacing, the layouts. The paneling was outstanding, and it fits right in with the script with what he was talking about with parallels and stuff. It's mind-blowing. But the story took a tonal shift that I just wasn't interested in reading. So Midnight of the Soul number one has to get a skim it. All right. Aquaman Rebirth number one from DC. As I recall, Dan Abnett and Scott Eaton were supposed to be the creative team in this book. Mm-hmm. But Eaton drew exactly four pages. Maybe Eaton is drawing the main book. Oh, no. It kept Walker's drawing the main book. Yeah, I don't know. But they said that it was going to be Dan Abnett and Scott Eaton on or Rebirth. Brad Walker. Brad Walker. Yeah, Brad it. Walker. Oscar Jimenez fills in the rest, and it's a pretty violent art switch. The story doesn't feel so much like a rebirth, but a continuation of Abnett's Aquaman story with two very different art styles, like I said. The story is fine, and it does a nice, if not lengthy, job defining how the people see Aquaman and his struggles with his own people, but that's all we get here. This wasn't bad. It really just felt like more of a deep breath between stories than a rebirth. I'm giving it a skim. Sherlock, a study in pink, number one from Titan. This is the first issue of a new series that's repackaging manga adaptations of the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock series into regular comic book form. Got it? It took a bit, uh, it took a little bit of effort to readjust to the right to left reading style. I didn't realize they went that far. And not just right to left, because sometimes, like, if there's not a panel going all the way across the screen, you read from top down and then go to the left. Yep. Once I did, though, I was super impressed with how well artist Jay, probably not his real name, was able to interpret the script by Stephen Moffat and Mark Gaddis for a new medium. They just took the script straight from the episode, the first episode of Sherlock. Huh. Boom. Comic booked it. All right. The art was definitely done in a traditional manga style, but Jay did an amazing job capturing the likenesses of the main characters. I could not believe how well like you look at this book and you're like yeah it's better to cumberbatch and the chapter is paced perfectly i don't know how many issues it's gonna be for each episode because they were hour and a half episodes right but this cut off at a perfect point i wasn't sure what i was in for with a manga adaptation of a modern day reimagining of a classic british novel (laughs) but i love sherlock number one and i'm giving it a buy it all right Prometheus, Life and Death, number one from Dark Horse. Two Dan Abnett books in one week. Woo! 
Dark Horse looks to pair the new Brian Wood Aliens title with a Prometheus Monthly, and, like the movie, I'm not sure that I care. Abnett's story is <laughs> fine, but like Joe Patrick says, it does seem a little samey in context with the other Aliens comics. I've enjoyed Moody's art in the past on books like Rick Remender's Frankencastle and Brian Wood's Rebels, but this did nothing for me and even looked really unfinished. That revisionist book was the same from last week. I don't get it. I don't know if he's trying something different or or it's old work working or maybe it's old work or he's working with a different inker. It just does not look good. I had to give this a leave it because it was boring. Dang. Thunderbolts number two from Marvel. Oh boy, get ready. I wasn't here to review Thunderbolts number one, but after being so excited and ultimately let down, I had to revisit it with the second issue. This book is a mess. It sucks. Ostensibly, the Thunderbolts are helping Bucky fulfill his role as the man on the wall. So yes, we're carrying over that hot nonsense. But what we are given are pages of gore and slaughter as the team deals with the terrifying actions of the childlike god being that they've recruited, and they execute a room full of recently hatched inhumans. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to go over great. <laughs> I know that writer Jim Zubkovich is better than this, but even a good script would be hindered by the over-rendered, under-detailed art by John Malin, whose slavish Liefeldian devotion produces page upon page of oddly proportioned figures with carefully sculpted including the guy that's covered head to toe in Iron Man armor. Fighting monsters in front of backgrounds made up of vertical and horizontal scratches. There's a splash page of the team in action where it is, no joke, literally impossible to decipher where the characters exist in time and space. (laughs) I was really excited to get a good Thunderbolts title again. This isn't one. Leave it. That is your ludicrous speed round. And Brandish is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of John Watson offering Sherlock his cell phone Brandish. in the pages of Sherlock, a study in pink, number one. If you want even more reviews of this week's comics, guys, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out the Sherlock of the comic book swap meet, Aaron Myers ludicrous speed reviews. The Queen of England's 90th birthday was this past April, but in true mystifying British fashion, the crown likes to wait six weeks to throw a party. I believe they pronounce it birthday. Birthday. (laughs) In preparation for the party and that inevitable talk you have to have with your grandparents about how they can't drive anymore, or in this situation, fake rule over the fake kingdom. Captain Britain himself joins us in the Sanctum Sanctorum looking for some words of advice as to how gently coax the Queen Mum to hand over the crown. I say finish what Guy Fox started and blow all the royals to hell personally. Oh my gosh. Come on, Matt. Show a little decorum. And by the way, the Queen Mother is not the same as the Queen. Get it right. Whatever. I don't I'm, even care. <laughs> I'm going to talk with Sir Braddock. Why don't you take your anti-royal attitude over yonder? And tell kids what you're excited to read next week. Next week! I'm excited for Tales from the Dark Side. Number one from IDW, written by Joe Hill, with art by Gabriel Rodriguez. Yeah! Lock and key team! Yeah, man. 32 pages, $3.99. Here's your solicit. Joe Hill's nerve-shredding reimagining of Tales from the Dark Side never made it to your TV set. Which sucks, but... The dead are restless and refuse to stay buried this summer. IDW releases 
Dark Side, a four-issue comic book adaptation of the episodes written by Hill and illustrated here by Lock and Key co-creator Gabriel Rodriguez. Three stories of the macabre and the malevolent. Macabre. One could have been, should have been TV epic on paper with pictures that don't move. Step out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Step out of the warm, sunlit world you think of as reality and get ready to take a chilling walk on the dark side. <laughs> Way to make the best out of a bad situation, yeah, there, I, I guess. guess. <laughs> it sucks. I, I really like the old tales from the dark side. It was a fun show. I love Joe Hill and I really like Gabriel Rodriguez. I like horror anthologies. It's going to be fun. There's no way around it. Joey, what are you picking next week? My pick for next week is Batman number one from DC Comics, written by Tom King with art by David Finch. It's 32 pages for $2.99. And here's your solicit I am Gotham! Chapter one. No one has ever stopped at the Cape Crusader, not the Joker, not Two Face, not even the entire Justice League. But how does Batman confront a new hero? Who wants to save the city from the Dark Knight? I know I gushed about Detective Comics and how much I loved it, but I am super pumped for Tom King to take over Batman solo. The Batman Rebirth yeah, special. It was great. From last week was co-written by Scott Snyder. Yeah. I am excited to see Tom King let loose on his own. I mean, right now the man can do no wrong. So yeah. I'm a little worried about David Finch. I think these new superheroes that are just called Gotham and Gotham Girl are kind of weird. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Find out. We'll find out. We'll see. Tom King's a great writer. Maybe and I they, have faith in him. Maybe he's introducing him to kill him. You never know. Maybe. The THN Trade of the Week for next week is Elf Cat in Love, the graphic novel from Big Planet slash Retrofit by James Kolchaka. It's 100 pages for 15 bucks. Hey. That's a crazy deal. That's crazy. Here's, here's your. Oh, hold on. They specifically stated that the genre for this book is romance, in oh. case you were wondering. Okay, it is a romance. That's why I wrote it down, because I saw it in the diamond. Gotcha. On the diamond side, it says genre, romance. Gotcha. Like, huh, okay. Here's your solicit. When the incredibly conceited elf cat goes on a quest for the ice sword with his magical friend, Tennis Ball, they will face dragons, magical hot dogs, snowflake princesses, and Jesus Christ. confront their feelings. <laughs> if you find love in many places, can you see it when it's right in front of you? Oh, James Kolchaka. I, I love that guy. Come on. He owns our hearts. He's he so good. And my favorite thing about any new James Kolchaka project is I don't know if it's going to be Peanut Butter and Jeremy James Kolchaka. Yeah. Or Fancy Frogland's Sexy Forest James Kolchaka. <laughs> uh, so I'm excited to find out which one it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, Matt, with no help from you, I think Captain Britain and I came up with a very nice way to thank the Queen, Mum. She's the Queen. For her service and send her on her way. Who is the Queen Mum then? The Queen the Queen Mom. The Queen Mother is the King's mom. Oh, gotcha. Oh, or or yeah. the the Queen's mom. Okay. Whatever. Bullocks to her anyway. The Queen Mother, but yeah, she's somebody different anyway. Bullocks! Bullocks! Now why don't you, loyal servants of the crown, head over to the THN forums and tell us what you're excited to read this week. It is time once again for Ask a Nerd, where one inquisitive listener poses a question to the two-headed oracle, that's us, hoping to receive some wisdom from on high. Today's question comes from the Ziggurat's in-house counsel, our very own consigliari, Ryan Forrest. Ryan asks, quote, now that the new 52 is over, what were your favorite titles? from its five-year run. Now, you and I interpreted this question differently. Well, I interpreted it the way that he said it to me. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, he texted it to me in a certain way as well. Okay. 
So you picked titles that are gone and probably not coming back. Yes. I said, like, I picked three titles that have been wiped. And they're gone. And I just picked my three, three of my favorite books okay. from the entire run of the New 52. All right. So let's get started. Go ahead and start with your first one. So I'm going to start with a recent favorite. It would be a tough debate, but I think that it would stand a chance. Omega Men may have been not only one of the best recent books from DC, it may have been one of the best New 52 books, period. Yeah, it was fantastic. Tom King and Barnaby Begenda, Deep Space, War, Terrorism, a lot of like allegory for real world conflict. It yeah, was so deep and, and rich. It was a miracle that it lasted. It was able to finish its 10 issue story Yeah, because they wanted to cancel that book after like the first six. Wonderful book. Pick it up when it comes out in trade. Omega Man, one of my faves. The first one I picked was the new 52 Swamp Thing relaunch, and it didn't start great. I'll say that. I was, uh, the first series was written by Scott Snyder. Really, really good art by Yannick Paquette at the time. And beautiful to look at, but I don't think Snyder had the greatest hold on the character. Well, he got bogged down in this 18-month-long yes. saga it was too, it got, too much. It got really interesting when it started tying in with the Animal Man title that Jeff Lemire was writing. And then Charles Soule came on and took over the book and it turned awesome. It was so cool. We started seeing like different people that have been the Swamp Thing all throughout time and all these different visions of the Swamp Thing tied to the green and whatnot. It was such a great story with fantastic art. And unfortunately, it wasn't selling so it lasted longer than I thought it would. I'll say that. Yeah. The Swamp Thing is a very hard book to sell these days, and I feel like these guys did a really good job of it. Snyder sort of did a good job setting Soul up, I'll say that, but certainly wasn't the best I've ever read on that title. I loved Swamp Thing. Miss it. My next one is one that was probably one of the more popular, probably the best seller of the New 52 would be my guess. Okay. And it definitely came back. It's it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And that's Batman. Uh, this would be the Scott Snyder Batman who and Scott Snyder wrote it for the entire length of the run, though there were uh, he had some help here and there with some guest feeling stuff. And this is kind of piggybacking off of your comments about Swamp Thing. I think the number one criticism about Scott Snyder's writing is that he never met a story that he couldn't stretch into a year long yeah. saga, whether it needed to or not. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I, that was a problem. Somebody on Periscope just said that he couldn't stick the landing. And I agree that that totally. was sometimes totally. something he had trouble with, but especially early on those Batman stories where he was introducing the court of owls and this deep conspiracy lurking beneath Gotham city. Month after month was blowing our minds at the time. It was. It was. It started really strong. And definitely. I just think he got caught up and like zero year is where it really, I think, lost a lot of people because that story did not need to be 14 goddamn months long. Yeah. <clears throat> but I just think that Scott Snyder added so much to the Batman mythos and he's uh, he did a lot of things that people are still picking up and running with like introducing new proteges, which I know I complained about last week, but he's definitely adding elements. And I think if you look at it overall, it was one of the better books, the most consistent books 
of that run. And that was because it had a strong creative team yeah. that was on it from start to finish. Right on. I'm next up. I'm going with a book I just mentioned, Animal Man. It was Jeff Lemire and Travel Foreman's Animal Man. This series met its end way too soon. It was so creepy. They, Animal Man was a character that way back in the day, Grant Morrison sort of reinvented into this really psychedelic, trippy, like metatextual, yeah, like mm-hmm. awful sort of horror book starring this character that was tapped into the later on we learned to call it the red and it is like the living force that empowers all living creatures animal right? life yeah and he could access that animal life and give himself animal powers and stuff like that and whereas the morrison book got super violent and totally weird this book just got more and more psychedelic with every issue as our main character buddy baker starts to lose his humanity he also has a family now. He's got a wife and he has two kids. One of the kids is starting to demonstrate powers like by accidentally reanimating dead animals and stuff like that. Yeah. She's the new avatar of the red. Yeah. Yeah. And it ties in. It tied in very closely to Swamp Thing's story. Swamp Thing being the avatar of the green. It was not a superhero story. It was more this exploration of a character becoming more than human. And it was so grotesquely illustrated by travel foreman i mean just it was pretty gross the covers were just visceral and red and it just when he would go into the red his body no longer obeyed normal rules of physics and they would just come apart and he'd be teeth and skin and eyes and organs just floating Mm. until he could recombine himself it was such a bizarre story and i would argue that it's some of jeff lemire's best superhero work He's written a bunch of stuff for both Marvel and DC. You just got done saying it wasn't a superhero book. Well, I mean, he is a superhero, (laughs) but I'm saying of all the Jeff Lemire stuff I've read at Marvel and DC, and he's written a lot of it. I think it was some of his best really going to miss Hannibal, man. Joey, you're up. All right. Well, my last pick for this particular farewell to the new 52 is action comics, which is another title that isn't going anywhere. In fact, we just talked about it, Yeah. but it went through some evolutions i would say definitely like four (laughs) yeah whereas usually if something wasn't really working or or was being shifted around the new 52 they just canceled the thing yeah but it's superman you can't it's action comics you're not gonna cancel action comics so this started off with the very kind of divisive but generally well received t-shirt and jeans superman by grant morrison which was examining his early years in the Cape and just kind of getting started in Metropolis. So this predated Justice League number one. Right. And it was great. And it kind of set up a lot of classic Superman characters uh, reimagined in a new light. I didn't always love it, but I totally appreciated what he was trying to do. Rags Morales was on the art. And so the book looked great when Rags actually drew the thing. Right. When he was there. (laughs) But overall, Grant Morrison's Action Comics was a terrific run, 18 issues. Then it kind of went through some ups and downs as it got caught up in various storylines or whatever. But when it settled down, it settled down with the creative team of Greg Pak and Aaron Cooter, who have been doing really special things with that character. Huge props for what they were dealing with. They really they took a book that by all means could have just been a total mess and made it very readable and very pretty to look at. Aaron Cooter. 
talented guy. Very talented. Cooter and Pack brought the book to the present day, and it just it dealt with a lot of stuff. Uh, primarily Superman's supporting cast, like right. Smallville cast, Lana Lang, uh, John Henry Irons, Jimmy Olsen, and it just told stories of Superman, the guy. And I've gone on record as saying that this particular version of Superman is not really how I like the character, but I can't deny that they did a great job. Yeah. They did the best they could with what could have been a car wreck. And the stories that they put out were really great. Superman dealing with a lot of social issues. Like uh, there was a storyline where a depowered Superman or a Superman who was kind of his powers are fading actually stood up against the police and i think uh, that's when these types of iconic characters like captain america yeah and superman are used best is when you can stand up and say look they're not just mindless followers of the leadership they're not superman they're not the reagan lapdog superman of yeah. dark knight returns right this is a superman that does what's right not what's lawful right necessarily and they're wonderful stories, beautifully drawn. That was a great run of action comics. Probably one of the best titles in the new 52. The final book I'm picking has to go to the Midnighter. Steve Orlando's Midnighter. This was the final last shot of trying to incorporate any Wildstorm stuff into the DCU after yeah. all of it failed so badly. It was so Remember Voodoo handled. and Grifter were launch books oh of the new video. God, and they were so terrible. They were not good. The Midnighter, however, wonderful. The first thing Orlando did was take that stupid spike off of his chin and sort of return him to the Midnighter we remembered from Wildstorm. Design-wise, at least. Right. He also made the character a human being. He returned him to the man that he was, which is this extraordinary person who is genetically grown in this place called the Garden, which is like an orbiting space station. But he was still trying to be a person. He was kind of autistic by nature because the way of his brain works. He basically has a computer in his brain that predicts how you're going to fight him before you fight him. And He's a homosexual and he likes getting on with hot dudes, you know, <laughs> who doesn't. And so we had this story of this agent trying to track down several items that were stolen from the garden and being used by different agencies to reverse bioengineer super people sort of. And it tied in very closely to the Grayson book, which I also very much enjoyed. And you got to see two different secret agents trying to carry out their missions in two different ways and often butting heads against each other. I only problem with this book is there was a different artist, almost every other issue, some of which were great, some of which were not so great, but the writing was always super high quality. I'm pretty much guaranteeing we're never going to see the Midnighter in the DCU again, which is too bad. I loved this book. I'm excited to see what Steve Orlando is going to do with Supergirl, but I don't think he's going to have as much creative freedom as he did with this. It was just a blast. If you can yeah. find these issues, you can probably pick them up in the quarter bin. Wonderful stuff. The Midnighter. When I was putting my list together, I was looking at Wikipedia and they have the complete list of all the titles that were published yeah. from the new 52. And there are some that I don't even remember existing. Yeah. Like, um, Star Spangled War stories. Yeah. Oh, wait, uh, no, that was uh, GI, GI Combat. Combat. Yeah, uh, that GI was Combat. Men of War. Dinosaurs or something like that. Yeah, the war that time forgot. Yeah, like Voodoo and Grifter Ugh. had solo titles. Ugh. 
Savage Hawkman, written by Rob Liefeld. That was awful. Wasn't it written by Rob Liefeld? No. It, no. I think it was, but it no. wasn't drawn by Liefeld. No, it wasn't written by Liefeld. Well, it was bad. Yeah. So I'll say this for the New 52. Love it or hate it, they tried a lot of different stuff. They experimented. When things weren't working, they got rid of them. They started new books. There was that DCU. Tony Daniel was writing it. Oh, yeah. Tony Daniel. Yeah. It was bad. And he had like the big gold claws. <laughs> yeah. Stupid. There was the DCYOU kind of promotion that yeah. added that injected Ooh. some. That's where we got Prez. Great. And Prez Omega so Man. Yeah. And uh, the Bizarro series, which I have not read, but people have told me is wonderful. It was great. And we got the back of Burnside. And uh, yeah, so they tried a lot of things. It didn't always work. It kind of rubbed old guys like me and Matt the wrong way. But hey, at least they were trying something different for a while. Sure. And now they're going back to the well. There you go. So thanks. <laughs> well, Matt, it's time to put our new 52 books on the pyre, push the canoe gently into the water, and fire the flaming arrow that will usher them off into Valhalla. So long, new 52 somewhere back there scotty's playing danny boy on the bagpipes which i know is a totally different culture but just go with it if you have a comic question you'd like us to answer you can tie it to a flaming arrow and shoot it at us or head to the thn forums and post your question in the ask a nerd section it's a little less violent way to do it yeah probably less dangerous Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the post-Warcraft movie memorial episode of THN. If you dig podcasts that push human and orc relations even further apart, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any place you find your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us some ratings, leave us some reviews, give us some thumbs up, do a little something. It's the easiest way to help get us in front of other potential listeners. It's the least you could do for your poor mother and father. Thank you to all of our donors. You keep our fell portal charged and spilling out beasties. Warcraft reference. There you go. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. To become a sustaining member, simply click the Make This Donation Monthly box when you donate. And remember, as little as a dollar a month really does help. And if you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. If you want to yell us personally, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com, where you can find links to all of our contact info. We're on Periscope, maybe not much longer after today. We're on Twitter, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, we're on Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week. And more importantly, you can find the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Use that hotline, and you can play Ask a Nerd. You can play Comic Pushers. You can answer the question of the week. You can just call to say hi, whatever you want. But use it, kids. It's for you. If you dig the music you hear on this show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify. All you got to do is search for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to our pals, Or McWilliams, Spencer Levchesky, and Brandon Barnes, who launched their brand new podcast, Graphic Novelty, with their friend, Jessica. She doesn't have a last name? I don't know it. No, oh, I thought maybe she's like Sting. Where do you guys? You're doing great work. You can find their show on iTunes, Stitcher, and graphicnoveltypodcast.com Until next time, true believers! Remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just call you a fat kid on the internet. This is a two-headed nerd. Signing off! Dream Chaser just popped back on and said I'm sorry, that was rude. <laughs> so, thumbs up. It's alright, buddy.